0: I just want to kind of share a story as, uh, before we go. Um, when I was uh, in middle school and high school, um, I, my family and I had recently just moved churches. Uh, we moved from a church that was around 150 to about like 2,000. It was like a huge jump from one to 100. And I did not like the idea of moving churches because that means I would have to make new friends, meet new people. I wasn't very Confident in talking to people I was very shy so I was like really upset with my parents for that and so I remember going to the youth group that Sunday, and it was it used to be in the gymnasium And there was at least about 200 plus youth students just for a middle school uh, service and I was already overwhelmed and I was very upset and you know as a teenager you don't know how to yet process your thoughts So you take your anger on other people (laughs) so I remember sitting in youth group and I started to start making judgment calls on certain students like, man, that guy looks ugly. Man, that girl's hair looks funny. Man, that guy is so short. I used to make all these judgment calls. And I remember these two specific people during that time at youth group, I just remember looking at them every Sunday, seeing them every Sunday, and I was like, man, I wouldn't want to be friends with those guys. Uh, fast forward maybe a couple months later, uh, You know, I was not yet plugged into church. I was very alone. I was like, I don't know why I'm here. But the funny thing was, it was when I started to look for community, it was funny, those two friends I mentioned to you about were the two people that actually reached out to me. People that I didn't even know well enough, they came up to me and were like, hey, uh, we realize you're new. Uh, We want to welcome you here. Uh, we want you to be, feel comfortable and feel a part of this community. And I remember just being so happy, knowing that there were people who I didn't even know. And as a matter of fact, I made judgment calls against them. And these were, these were, these were the people who reached out to me, who showed love to me. And to this day, these two guys are actually one of my bestest friends. And it's kind of funny how God works in that way. But... The reason why I share this story is because we've all made expectations, we've all made assumptions of people, we've made, we have ideas of who people are and because we do that, we kind of determine the way we see them, we approach them, we treat them even and because we assume, we expect, uh, we don't open ourselves up to seeing them for who they really are and we actually miss out on seeing who they really are. And as we saw in this video just earlier, people were asked on the street, uh, streets of New York City, they were asked, who is Jesus? Just that simple question. Who is Jesus? And many people gave different thoughts, different answers, right? Some, some gentleman with the pigeons on his head was saying he was like David Copperfield of his day. If you guys don't know David Copperfield, he's like a magician. So he's like the magician of his day. People gave different answers. Different, pe- people gave different thoughts, And the question I have for us today as Christians is, do we ourselves know clearly who Jesus is? Do we ourselves understand what he has done? See, if we don't know ourselves, how are we supposed to share with others about Jesus? And I just want us to keep that question in our minds today. So if you guys have your Bibles, uh, we will be in Mark chapter 15 and we'll be looking at verses 33 to 39. Uh and we will be using our Bibles a lot today, and so please follow along. That is Mark chapter 15 verses 33 to 39. And as we turn there, I want to give us a little context, a little background of Mark 15. Uh Jesus at this time is spending his last hours with his disciples. Um He's spending time with the people he loved, eating with them, talking with them, and he tells them at this Last Supper that one of them will betray him and that all of them will abandon him. And people, and these disciples are kind of like, Jesus, we'll never abandon you. Why will we ever abandon you? We'll never leave you. Fast forward, they all go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus starts to pray to the pray to God and he's praying just in agony in deep pain and sorrow he's pleading with God God take this cup of wrath away from me I don't want to face this but it is not my will but let your will be done shortly after one of his disciples Judas comes to him he comes not by himself he comes with soldiers and they arrest Jesus. They falsely accuse him for what he's done. And in the court, in the temple courts, he, they hold trial for Jesus. And people are just shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We want him dead, crucify him. Jesus would go on to be spit on. He would be mocked. He would be tortured. It says in Mark earlier that Soldiers will take turns beating Jesus, and as they beat Jesus, they'll say, Prophesy this, Messiah, who's the one who hit you? Bam, who hit you now? They will even mock him for being a king. They make a crown of thorns. They make fun of him, saying, Oh, all hail, the King of the Jews. You are worthy. He will be forced to carry a cross where he will be nailed in his hands and feet. And even as he's hanging on the cross, People are laughing at him, mocking him, saying, He can save others, he can't even save himself. Are you sure you're the king of the Jews? So I just want us to imagine all this happening. Just imagine the scene altogether. Just imagine what Jesus is going through at this time. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And so I will be reading from verses 33 to 34. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what's happening. Jesus has been hanging on the cross for at least three hours. Uh, It says in your Bible, the sixth hour had come. The sixth hour basically means noon. 12 p.m., and the ninth hour is supposed to symbolize 3 p.m., so he's been hanging on the cross for at least three hours, and it says right at the ninth hour at 3 p.m., there was darkness that came over the land, and I don't know where in the world it gets dark at 3 p.m., like I don't know if you guys know any place in the world that gets really dark at 3 p.m., like it gets dark here around like 7, 7.30, 8 it started to get dark at 3 p.m. where Jesus was. And that's kind of weird. But if I can give us some clarity, this was, this was to fulfill Amos chapter 8, verse 9, where it is supposed to show an illustration of God's coming judgment upon sin. The darkness was to symbolize God's coming judgment upon sin. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross he cries with not just a soft voice, but with a loud voice in agony and pain. He says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here? Why have you turned your face from me? And I just want us to think, imagine the loneliness that Jesus felt. He had just been deserted by his followers he had, been desert, he had been betrayed by one of his disciples, and now he cries, "Father, why have you abandoned me?" Jesus was perfect, sinless, lived a life of obedience of God. Yet what did he do to deserve this? I just wanted to read us, uh, read us a scripture on the screen. Second Corinthians 5:21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what's happening. It is here that Jesus takes upon the sins of the world onto himself. As he's hanging on the cross, he's saying, God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling the separation of God. At this moment, this is where he has taken upon the sins of the world, our sins, your sins, my sins, he has taken upon himself. Jesus had taken our place, the place that we deserved, and God loved his son. He loved his one and only son, but God being holy, being just, who despised sin, turned away from his son and i just want us to kind of understand this to under i think i want us to understand the love of god sometimes when we think about the love of god we think about a nice man bearded man white robe he's like sitting with a bunch of children with all his smiley faces butterflies and flowers maybe jesus is holding a sheep you know those that kind of love but we have to understand that God's love sometimes is a very violent love. And let me explain this. Uh, Vodi Bakum from Gospel Coalition, he shares how some, sometimes for all of us in our society, we mix love with being sentimental. We mix those things well so much that we get confused of looking at what God's love really is. So many of us are parents. Parents, if you saw your child crossing the street and an oncoming car is going towards them. What would you do? Are you just going to be like, "Oh, son and daughter, be safe. Like, don't worry. Just step out of the way." We will not do that. We will grow, go run towards our child, push them or pull them out of the way so they will not get hurt. Bakham even writes, "If my child is about to hurt himself, if I see that he's about to harm himself, I am going to raise my voice." and tell him to stop. And the reason why I'm sharing this is that love can look very tense. It can be very violent. But that's how love is. As a matter of fact, that is actually Christ's love to us. Jesus Christ took our place. He was tortured. He was mocked. And he died on the cross in our place. And it is through this act that we realize the truth of who Jesus really is. If we can turn to Mark chapter 15, verses 35 to 36. Verse 35, And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Back in those days, there was an Old Testament belief that the prophet Elijah would come down and save a righteous man in distress. And so many of these bystanders who saw Jesus crying out, they were still mocking him. They are saying, oh, look at him. He's crying to Elijah. Look at what he's doing. And one of the bystanders got a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed so that they can give it to Jesus and still mock him saying let's keep him alive longer let's see if Elijah really does come even in all the pain they still mock Jesus but some of them when they talk about this they had false expectations of what Jesus was about many of us in this in this room we've all made expectations of people yes We've made high expectations, we have made low expectations, and sometimes those expectation, expectations aren't met. Parents, how many of us expected our kids to do their chores this week? Yeah, probably none of them did their chores this week, right? We made expectations, they weren't met. What happened? We're disappointed. Right? We make plans, we want to go on a nice vacation, do all these things, and all of a sudden, Sorry, we had to cancel your flight because there's a storm in some area. Your plans aren't met. We make expectations. We make plans and assumptions. And sometimes when they they aren't met, we feel disappointed. And these people had false expectations of who Jesus was. Jesus is crying out and they're saying, oh, let's wait to see if Elijah comes and saves him. They didn't really see who Jesus was. But my question is are we the same with Jesus? What expectations do we have of him? And do we get disappointed because of he's because he's not what we want? When we find out who he really is, are we glad or are we disappointed? Do we really see him for who he is and what he has already done? Verse 37 and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So two things happened right here. As soon as Jesus breathed his last It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So you can imagine a temple that was just perfect in condition and all of a sudden it just got torn right in the middle. And after the people witnessing all this, Mark says there was one centurion. And this centurion was a soldier of Rome. He was most likely there to execute Jesus. He was probably even there to mock Jesus and make fun of Jesus he was definitely not a follower of Jesus, but he witnesses all that had taken place after Jesus' death. He saw Jesus for who he really was. And he was convinced of Jesus' power and he says at the very end, surely he is the Son of God. And As I was coming into today, um, uh, you know, something that was on my mind for us as a church is we live in a day where there's so many people who give us different ideas about who Jesus is. There are people who are so torn about the idea of Jesus. People don't even like who Jesus is. People think Jesus is one thing, Jesus is another and I was just thinking for us this morning about how clearly do we see Jesus for ourselves? Do we see him for who he really is as the Bible says? Or do we just make assumptions and our own, make our, put our own expectations of him? I really believe as we close, our response should be like this centurion. We should be in awe and amazement of who he is. We need to recognize what Christ has already accomplished. He was the one who knew no sin but became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. And I just want us to really just think about that and ponder on that. Jesus took our place. He was mocked, spit on, and he did all these things. And we want to see him for what he's done. And I don't want us to hold on to false expectations of Jesus, but I want us to hold firm in knowing who Jesus really is as the Son of God. And that is my hope, that is my prayer, and that is my heart for us as a church I really believe God is moving us in a, uh, in a really good direction. And we want to just be on that same clear understanding of who Jesus is as we go on. And so may we not hold on to false expectations, but may we stand firm in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, let us all pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time. Uh, We thank you for bringing us all here this morning. Jesus, we just want to see you for who you really are. You know, in our world today, Lord, there's so many many, uh, people, so many things that don't know you for who you really are. We make assumptions, we make expectations, We have different ideas and thoughts of who you are. Lord, I just pray as a church that we will really really clearly understand, we will clearly see, we will clearly stand firm in your word and seeing what you have done for us on the cross. May we be like that centurion who saw you, even after all we've done, see you for who you are. And to confess and recognize that you are the son of God. The one son that you, Father, has sent to die in our place, to take our place for our sin and shame. That we may be your children, that we may have the righteousness that is given through Jesus Christ. And so we thank you so much for this time and this morning. And as we close, I just pray, let us all pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.